Good evening. The Calm Christian here. Preparing for church tomorrow. I went to a men's breakfast at a church, a church fellowship. Uh, It's not a Baptist church. It's another church. Uh, A guy who is married to a Baptist, he frequently comes to our breakfast. So he's been inviting us to go to his breakfast. And I kind of resisted, but another guy from the church said he would go. So I said, okay, I'll go too. So today we went, and what happened today? Uh, there was some singing, loved it, and then we had a breakfast, and I had about two servings, and then we had a kind of a sermon from a pastor who's pastoring up in Canada, I guess. He's pastoring a church on an Indian reserve, and he really had some very interesting things to say about some of the struggles he's had you know, and some of the chiefs or people in that reserve that really don't like the Christian message. They're really, you know, they're concerned that maybe the culture of their people is threatened and, you know, they don't like the white man. And, you know, maybe that's just, they're preserving their race, they're preserving their tradition. Like, I I understand from their point of view, somebody comes along and preaches the gospel and they're very, um, you know, challenged by that. But, This man was asked to serve in this church because they were running out of money. They were quite bankrupt. They asked him and they said, we have no money to give you. And he said, no, I accept. And I guess he rearranged the board and he fired some of the people. And, you know, he felt he feels called by God. And then afterwards, um, they decided they wanted to have some people come to the front some of the men so it was a men's breakfast but some of their wives of the men in this church were serving they were serving things in the breakfast line and they were very friendly and very cordial they didn't look too angry about serving (laughs) so i guess this church kind of the way they do things is they kind of pray very loudly and it's kind of like casting out spirits and spirits of trepidation and things like that and it's to me was a little off-putting so the man asked for people to come to the front and some guys did obviously the guys who go to this church and then me and my friend were kind of in the back you know it's like everybody has to get up so i'm not going to sit at the table and then the man at the front is is praying with some of the guys in the front and he's kind of yelling he's kind of talking to them and he's kind of you know praying in front of them and he's kind of screaming He's kind of yelling. And I'll be honest, it's kind of off-putting to me. It's not the way I do church. And I guess, why am I telling people this? It it doesn't fill me with a spirit of calm. Have you ever seen some really great sermons where the pastor is very animated? He's almost yelling from the pulpit or he's pacing up and down. I do remember listening on the radio to Billy Graham when he was very young and he was very animated and I guess he's at the pulpit and he's, is he really shouting at people? I don't really know, but he's definitely talking very loud, very fast. And I just loved it. And to me, this was not that. It's kind of like screaming at a person. And we're doing this because we want to pray over somebody. We want to pray God into their life. We want to pray for them. We want to pray for some of the things that are bothering them. And that's, that's good on the surface. I think we are called to bear each other's burdens. 
especially men you know men should men should never exclude their wives of course you know we're we're really doing this to be better husbands better men better fathers better christian men in a world that seems i don't know to be stepping on men or to be assigning all the problems that have ever happened because of men because of a patriarchal society you know i'm hearing that a lot i'm seeing that on youtube you know uh videos about being woke and leftism and liberalism and and sort of the the hierarchy of the family being displaced and that men are you know subjugating um others you know we'll leave it at that and i guess we need to really get to god in prayer and this wasn't the promise keepers uh this was just a church their organization that's the way they do things and as a the pastor who i really enjoyed his talk i really got a lot out of it as he was up at the sort of the front line praying he was kind of screaming at some of the guys that came for help and they i guess they expected it because that's their church but he was kind of yelling at them and i was thinking is god deaf like are we praying are we asking the holy spirit to to are we praying the holy spirit over people like i'm looking at him i i was you know praying but then i lifted my eyes and you know i want to i want to look at my surroundings i want to be thinking you know i accept things by faith the bible says lean not unto your own understanding but at the same time i don't want to be someone that just you know people use faith as a railroad to just railroad any old methodology past you i want to think about what i'm doing and why i think every man every woman has a right to think about their faith why do i believe what i believe does it seem credible does it seem cogent does it seem right for instance jesus being killed on the cross lying in a tomb for 3 days and then walking out of that tomb it can only be the resurrection from the dead it can only be he was dead but god raised him through the holy spirit god raised him back to life i believe that i don't understand how that can happen I don't know how a dead person can rise back from the dead from to be alive when he's dead but I believe it. I don't believe Jesus was unconscious. I don't believe in the swoon theory. I don't believe it. I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead by faith. I believe in the holy scriptures as reporting the truth. And this is in 1 Corinthians 15:3. I believe that. I've thought about it, but I believe it. But some of the things that Christians do some of the methodologies or practices or way of worshiping god i really don't get it it's not my thing i'll put it to you that way so this man is yelling at these other guys at the front and i'm really i'm really kind of off put by this i don't know it makes me a little scared i was a little frightened to be honest i kind of bowed my head i said lord i don't like this spirit of yelling like are you deaf Can you not hear what this man is saying? Why does he feel that he has to yell very loudly to get your holy spirit to come and work in the lives of the people being prayed over? Do you not hear what he's saying if he just whispers? Is this kind of a show? And then I'm thinking maybe the devil's deaf. Maybe we have to yell these prayers out loud to scare the devil away and the devil's hard of hearing. 
Maybe that's what it's all about. And I'm, you know, I'm praying that I'm praying, I'm seeing all of this, I'm thinking these thoughts, but I'm actually kind of, my legs are a little bit shaking. That's what happens. You know, my legs start to shake. I get, to, I get nervous, I get afraid. And I said, Lord, just, you know, protect me from this kind of weird spirit. I don't like this. And I'll read, some, I'll read something in the Bible for you, and then I'll just continue. 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, I guess I'm an outsider because I'm I'm a Baptist, I'm a believer in Jesus and the Holy Spirit, but I'm just not quite used to this volume of praise and prayer. So I guess I am kind of an outsider, but I am a believer. Will they not say that you are out of your minds? I find this kind of a little ironic because that's what I was kind of thinking at first when the praying began like this. But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. I think I was kind of doing that. I was kind of praying to God to say, Lord, I want to get something good out of this, but I don't like the spirit of yelling and screaming. It's really off-putting to me, and I'm a little frightened by it, to be honest. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh in what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion but of peace. I'll be honest, I don't understand all this thing about spirits and prophets. I think it's just safe to assume that what the Bible says is true, that Jesus is the true prophet, that Paul is a prophet to the Gentiles, but then again, so is Peter. And anybody, any man who declares himself to be a prophet these days, or a woman, because that's what happened in the church that I was, I came out of, I, I just don't feel on steady ground with that. Like a lot of people on YouTube, or I have on YouTube, or any other visual media say they're prophets and God has given them a revelation, God has given them a dream, and they have a message for end times. You know, I appreciate the passion, but I can't tell if God has given you a message or if you're just making it up or if you're crazy or if you have some, you know, issues in your brain and your neurotransmitters or maybe the devil is speaking through you. I used to think that the lady who started the church that I came from, I used to think she was just a plagiarist, that she was just a liar. But over time, I began to wonder, you know, she got hit in the head with a rock when she was very young and she had anxiety problems. And I, I was wondering, can Satan move into somebody's head who maybe really means well, but they're not stable or they're not well? Can he do that? Why would Satan talk to this 
young woman and not talk to other people. Do you know what I mean? Because the Bible says there are antichrists and it defines antichrist as someone who is evil and malevolent, who's trying to displace Christ completely. Or it says that a replacement gospel, a gospel where someone thinks they are speaking for God, they are speaking for Jesus, but then their gospel takes a twist that is not in scriptures. It's some weird hermeneutic going off the rails, some weird thing, but like all weird things, somebody says, yeah, I want to follow that. And they end up following the person and sometimes to their doom. Like David Koresh um, was in Waco, Texas. That guy was out of his mind. Okay, he's telling people it's Jesus and he's helping himself to their wives and the dudes let him like they were that weak-minded. Okay, that guy was crazy. Like, do you know what I mean? Like any one of them could have read the Bible and vetted him out, but they refused. They surrendered their will to that person. Like, I'm sorry, no. So I don't really understand what it talks about spirits of prophets and other people. I'm going to stick with Jesus and the Bible, thanks. Because the spirit, the, Jesus and the Bible are, are revelators of God's character. And I want to make sure that, you know, I'm not on shaky ground when I hold on to Jesus. Jesus. I trust Jesus. If there is somebody else that came from God in these times and I dismissed them with my hand, well, it doesn't really matter to me because they're not Jesus Christ. I don't really have to worry too much about what they say. I appreciate good pastors. I think Billy Graham was a true Christian pastor. I, I love J.C. Ryle. Um, I have listened to somebody named Derek Prince. Um, I like Stephen Furtick of Elevation Church. Um, there are so many people on YouTube. And I like Mark Driscoll of the Trinity Church in Phoenix, Arizona. I think he's a wonderful preacher. And, you know, you don't have to, some people that I've mentioned, they may not be your cup of tea. You know, you may also be a true Christian. You say, no, that guy's not my cup of tea. I prefer listening to this other person. But Jesus has to be the constant in all of our lives and the word of God, the Bible and the Bible only. But I guess I was a little off put by the screaming and the yelling. And during the sermon, he remember uh, he was saying that he was watching a show and he felt motivated to pray at 10 and he went into a room and he somehow did not emerge till 2 a.m. So he was sort of, he went into a room, prayed, and four hours went by really fast. And then he said he got a call um, at night or the day that his son had passed out and hit his head on a table and hadn't come to till 2 a.m. And I'm thinking, is this really credible story? But then I was wondering, you know, whether it's credible or not, he believes it and he's telling me something and he's promoting the word of God. He's promoting the fact that he prayed. But he said that he went into a room and he was praying, shatak, 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 duktak. Like he said words that I did not understand. And he said two of the words that I did not understand. He's praying and he's not praying in a language of English. And I don't know what language that was, but it didn't sound like any language. It sounded like something very strange to me. And he just said two words. And I wondered why this pastor thinks that we all going to believe that he said these two syllables. I believe he did, but why does he think it's credible to say two syllables that is apparently not and language? 
I don't know what Esperanto sounds like. That didn't sound like Esperanto. That didn't sound like French or Chinese or any other kind of language. Why does this guy say that he can say that and we're all just going to accept it ubiquitous, like across the board? Because I didn't like that at all. That really made me pause inside my soul. And it made me think, you know, I'm a believer. I am not here to criticize another believer. But it's just not my cup of tea. And if I was not a believer, if I had been invited here by two Christian people, I might have been really thrown off by that. At one point, I guess, we are supposed to really not care what the world thinks. The world doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that he came out of a tomb after three days, resurrected from the dead, but I do. But I do care how Jesus is perceived and he's perceived by believers. And when someone says some weird, strange words that don't exist, I wonder why that person who's saying that thinks that that is credible with an unbeliever. I, I want to make sure that I don't lean on my own understanding, as Proverbs 3 says. Lean not unto thine own understanding, but trust in God. But when you are trying to make contact with the outside world, with unbelievers, with people who are trying to see Jesus in you, they're trying to see relationship, I think, I think that whatever you argue, whatever you argue through logic, has to sound reasonable and cogent. It has to make sense. Because Jesus is preaching about relationships. He's preaching about life, how your life goes, what your priorities are, what, what do you do in the day, how do you conduct yourself, are, you know what I mean? It's about people having relationships. How do you interrelate with other people? And I'm the kind of person that I don't want to come across too weird or too creepy. And creepiness tends to off-put me when it comes, if, if someone is, is creepy and they're trying to promote the gospel. Because an unbeliever would look at this and say, Jesus is kind of creepy because this guy says he's a follower of Jesus and he's kind of creepy. I think the creep factor, the cringe factor should be small or non-existent. And when he said that he, he went into a room and prayed, I believe he did. I believe that his son had an accident at 10 a.m. The son said that he hit his head at 10 a.m. and passed out and then somehow woke up at 2 a.m. And, and this pastor said that's when he came out of the room. But he said he was praying and he said, shirt tack, something tack. And I'm thinking, what? What did you just say? Hey, man, back that truck up. Could we back up the recording, please? Could we back up the audio? Like, weirdness, I don't like. Doing things differently or having a different opinion or a different hermeneutic, I'm very cool with that. But when your hermeneutic, when your opinion, when the way you do things goes from being a little bit different to an assault or a slander, like calling people Mark of the Beast because they don't go into a building on a Saturday. That was a slander. But what that guy said was kind of weird. It had a cringe factor about it that I didn't like. 
But I want you to know that another guy came around. He was like a soldier. He was about 5'10". He had very wide shoulders, you know, big chest. Like, I admire that. I see this guy looks like he's working out. He looks like he's a police officer or he's a soldier. And the thing that I really liked about the dude, he has a smile on his face and he seemed really approachable. He didn't seem weird or disagreeable. Uh, He had a smile on his face. There was a smile of peace there. And something in my heart looked at that dude as he was going through the crowd of men and something in me went, ah, I can relax with that dude. He looks normal to me. And he came around to another guy uh, off to my left. And the other guy said, no, man, I'm good. Thanks. I don't, you don't need to pray for me. And he said, okay, really? Then he came to my friend who came with me from the Baptist church. And my friend said, no, I think I'm good. Thank you. And then the dude came to me and I said to him, you know, I talked to my son through Google and he says that, you know, they might stay in, in Croatia and they might not come back to uh, Canada for a long time. And I kind of thought so. Because why would my, I don't know, quote, ex-wife, I guess, want to come back to Ontario? It's so expensive here. So expensive to rent. My goodness, it's so much money. And, you know, when you separate, you know, whatever marriage is, it's also a financial merger. Um, Two people working for a household, a cohesive household, that's two salaries coming in. And when you want to separate, when you want to separate from your marriage, separate from your husband, now it's just one household, right? I'm, I mean, I'm paying child support and things like that in the separation agreement, but she's trying to have a job and she just can't carry the rental that she had in Ontario. So she up and left and went to visit her parents. But at the same time, why would she come back? So my son says that, you know, she might be looking for an apartment. But I don't know if that's she really is or it's broken telephone. I don't know. So I felt very dismayed when my boy said that to me. Like I may see him later rather than sooner. And I felt very sad by that. And I, I guess I carried that into the meeting today. And what I, what I said to the guy was, can you pray for me? Uh, my name is so-and-so. I told him my name. And I... By circumstances, my kids have been sort of taken away from me, taken out of my space, and I'm very sad by this. And he smiled at me, and it was a very agreeable, normal smile. He said, sure, brother, I'll pray for you. He put his hand on my shoulder, and I'm not really used to, you know, touchy-feely stuff, but he put his hand on my shoulder, not in a creepy way. He was standing in front of me, and so I put my hand on his shoulder, and then my buddy put his hand on my shoulder, and I did the same to my buddy who was on my left. And the dude prayed a really nice, simple prayer for me he prayed you know let this uh, this man is a father and he is separated from his children and he wants to see them again lord if you could make this possible i don't remember the exact words but that was how the trend of the prayer went and then he said amen and i felt so much better i said to myself lord about two minutes ago i was really scared and i didn't like the spirit of shouting in this church but you made it better god always makes it better He always turns around something that seems like defeated or sort of going in the wrong direction. And God always turns it into a victory. And I thought, I am glad that I came to this men's breakfast. I am glad that I came to this church. I am glad that I responded to the invite from another Christian man to to go to this church. And I I felt very happy um, that I had done that. I felt that that was like a win-win for me. And I said to him, thank you so much. And he nodded his head, smiled and and, and went on his way. 
And I just want to read to you uh, something here, um, you know, from the prodigal son. If I can find it, it's in Luke 15, verses 20. And the prodigal son. So this is the son that went away. And this story is really about two prodigal sons, actually. One was with the father all the time, but he seemed kind of estranged, which most scholars say is Israel. And then one say that this guy who went off on a journey and came back was the Gentile son. And Luke 15, 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And I guess my son is not a prodigal. He still wants to talk to me. My daughter is a prodigal. I love my children. I miss them so much. And I never thought that the dissolution of my family would result from me choosing Jesus. But I've heard way too many stories, and I've seen this in my own life and in the Gospels. If you choose Jesus Christ first, it may cost you something valuable. Persecution will come. Turbulence will come. Resistance will come. Who thinks they're going to come for your family? It's going to come from your extended family or even your spouse. Nobody thinks that. I never saw that coming. And I was very shocked when it happened. But Jesus has to be first. I could not be part of a church that had a false prophet inside of it that was started by a false prophet. And I was sick of going to church on a different day than what everybody else is doing. The Bible says in Romans 14, 5, so it doesn't matter the day, uh, it doesn't matter the diet. Holiness, holiness does not come from a day or a diet, but most of the Christian church picks Sunday um, to go to church, Sunday, the first day of the week, to commemorate the resurrection of Jesus. And nowhere in the Bible does it say that you have to go to church on a Saturday because, because the Sabbath is in the Old Covenant. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. Even the Jews had uh, Sabbath day and they were supposed to come out of their tents. And then I guess later on they decided, okay, we're going to go to synagogue on Saturday or on the Sabbath day. Who really knows if, if the Sabbath day of the Old Testament in those times is the same day as that we call Saturday. Nobody really knows for sure. Nobody really knows. I, I can't say that it can be disproven, but nobody can really prove it, in my mind anyways, because we don't know what happened in the past. I mean, I don't. So I could be wrong about what I just said. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that all Christendom has to go to church on the Sabbath day. And I was tired of that mantra, and I was tired of defending the Sabbath day. I don't honestly care about the Sabbath day. I care about Jesus, and I care about being like Jesus, and I want to be forgiven by Jesus, and I want to get close to his Father. And, and Jesus says, when you pray to, to my Father, pray in my name. Because Jesus is the one whose, whose sinless, perfect life has reconciled us to our Father. We can come to our Father in prayer, and we can reconcile to God in prayer and in our lives because we have the sinless blood of Jesus to cleanse us from our sins. That's what's important. And being other-centered, that's what's important. That is what, prim what is primary. And coming to a church where they kind of scream and yell, it's a little off-putting, but it's secondary to me, and it's still within Christian parameters, in my opinion. Remember, I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. 
I'm not really here to teach anybody anything. I'm just going through life like all of you. I'm just going through life considering Jesus as my savior. I made a choice for him to be my savior, the savior of my life, and to bestow upon me eternal life if he wants to transform my heart. He's the one that does that. I can only be the recipient. And I can I believe that Jesus is the son of God, and every day I continue to believe it. I continue to have experiences. God wants me to live my life and discover how to be more other-centered. You too. That's what's important. And we're going to sin. We're going to sin. We sinned 24 hours ago and we're going to sin 24 hours from now. But when you sin and you you know you've sinned, you say you're sorry and you ask for Jesus to forgive you and God applies his forgiveness, he applies his grace because he's a loving God. and he wants us to be more new covenant like his son. Thanks for listening. Thanks for allowing me to take your time. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you and nowhere do you have to agree with everything I said. Just to let you know, accept one thing. For me Jesus Christ is the son of God and if he is for you, then we're Christian brothers. and we'll see each other sometime soon. God bless.